Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to This Empty Glass with Chef Ben. It has been 3,829 days since my last drink. I say that because I like to sort of timestamp these episodes with my sobriety counter for a couple of reasons. The first one is that it gives me, obviously, this sense of accomplishment feels like I'm really doing something. And the other thing is is that I just don't record this show very often, which has been brought to my attention by a couple of folks, and it will show up in the main feed for In the Weeds, which is my other show that my co-host Steve and I do on a regular basis. This show came out of a change in my life that was a little almost 10 and a half years ago where I quit drinking. I had been essentially a drunk for about 20 years in the restaurant industry as many of us are and it was not working for the remainder of my life the personal stuff in fact the professional stuff was harmed by my addiction and by how i was handling myself so i quit drinking and there's a couple of things that i want to talk about today none of which are going to be easy to hear but let me start with the easy stuff so in our industry we are unique Cooks, chefs, dishwashers, prep guys, servers, bartenders, bussers, front of the house managers, barbacks, like we are as a collective unique in workplace dynamics, I guess you would say, because of how we have decided, or we've had it decided for us, that we are this pirate ship crew. We're a circus of some sort. We are where the misfits go. We're where we attract the freaks and and the people who otherwise wouldn't be suitable for a type of work. To a certain degree, that's been foisted on us. To a certain degree, it's true. There's that question about, does restaurant work attract crazy people or does it make you crazy once you're here? The answer is, it's probably both. Is that 100% true? No. Is it in many ways a cover story so that we can fucking behave any old way we want to? Yeah, it kind of is. And so while I say we are unique in the ethos, in in the way that we treat each other, the way that we operate as a group, we're really not because there are other industries that have trouble with folks being, yeah, with folks getting into self-destructive behaviors, whatever that might be. If it's drugs and alcohol, fine. If it's other things, fine. However, what we have done in the industry is we've gamified it. We've gamified our addictions in as much as, I'm sure you've all been in the same position I have, you work a 12-hour shift. It's a Friday. It's a Saturday. It's a brunch going into a Mother's Day, midday, early afternoon, prefix dinner kind of bullshit tornado. And you realize you've worked for 14 hours and you find yourself sitting at the bar after close at your own restaurant. And it turns into a competition. We've gamified it. How fast can you drink? How many can you drink? What can you drink? At least that was my experience. So before we get to the tougher stuff, I just wanted to shout out the app that I use to track my sobriety. I had to sort of backdate it, which this app allows you to do. Because I didn't, from day one, start doing this. Because I didn't know I had to. And I'm not necessarily saying you have to either. If you are sober in the industry and you have a method, you have a structure, you have support that works for you, fucking, there's no reason to change. If you're new to sobriety, if you are curious, if you think, oh, fucking hell, I might have a problem, but I don't want to talk to anybody about it because I'm, you know, some knuckle-headed 
chef, sous chef, whatever it is. And I think I can take care of everything myself. Meanwhile, my hand is up in the air because that's me. The app I use is simply called I Am Sober. You go to your app dealership of choice if you're on Apple or if you're on uh, one of those Android dealies or whatever. Just look up I Am Sober. It's free. There's in-app purchases if you want to do like, I don't know, pro tracking or some shit like that. I don't know. I don't use any of that. It really is just a pin in a date on a calendar and it counts shit up for you. You can put all sorts of stuff in there. You can put your age. You can put how much you believe you were spending on alcohol or whatever. Again, whatever your drug of choice was. I'm going to look mine up right now. Let's take a look. So far in the last ten and a half years, according to the sort of ballpark figure, the thumbnail sketch of how much I thought I was spending per week on booze, I have saved $76,000. Is that accurate? I don't know. I worked at a lot of places where we drank for free. Again, I was estimating. Uh, I do know that I have saved lots and lots of other things, including A, marriage, B, my relationship with my kids, C, probably my career, things like that. So, if you are looking for an instantaneous type of support that is non-judgmental, that is completely human interaction free, and post-COVID we've all learned, uh, we haven't all learned, many of us have learned, Human interaction ain't all what it uh, was advertised as, right? Like, there's a lot of us who are going, I don't want to go back in the office. Now, for restaurant folks, that's not really an option. But for everybody else out there, for all you all normies, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry that there is this, like, sit in your cubicle and and be a cog in a machine, uh, quote, office culture kind of thing going on where your bosses are saying, we need to come back to the office. Sorry, side note, that is entirely because of... Uh, real estate pressure, right? It's like all of your bosses are a bad guy from an 80s Superman movie, right? It's all real estate pressure because there's so many office buildings that are now sitting vacant and it does not look, quote, productive. That's a whole separate thing, right? In restaurants, there are no jobs that can be done from home. That's just not how that goes. I'm going to take a sip of coffee real quick because some addictions you just never get rid of. I'm drinking a really nice French Peruvian coffee from a place called the Coffee and Tea Exchange here in Chicago. They have a location over on Broadway. Fucking Awesome coffee. Ladies and gentlemen, second side note, you can't win them all. And maybe you shouldn't do that, right? Am I now, well, not even now, am I still completely addicted to things that get me going, right? Like I never made that turn into cocaine, probably saved my life. Coffee, energy drinks, caffeine pills. Am I that guy? Yeah. Do I have that under control? Yeah. Yeah. That's just... It's, that's not a problem for me. That is a thing that I do that mathematically from the outside, given no uh, circumstantial evidence, given no structure within the environment that I operate in, could look like I have a problem. It is not a problem. In as much as I am now sober from alcohol for 10 and a half years, trust me, I would know if it was a problem because I know what to look for. Uh, however, I intentionally buy really good, really expensive coffee as part of how I keep that from continuing to be a problem. That's another sip. So, I use that app to track my sobriety. You set a time of day where the little thing goes, and it says, hey, make your pledge today. It will feel silly at first to hit a button, and the pledge says, I will stay sober today. However, it's really fucking important. And it's really helpful, and it's really powerful, and I was not prepared for that. 
Now, on days that I forget to do it, or I'm too busy in the morning at my job to do it, and I have to go back and put the pledge in later, I feel a little guilty, and I also feel a little nervous. Because this is a thing that I use to help myself stay accountable. Yes, it is a way for me to also reward myself. I can look at that thing, and I can I can see that number climb every day. There's a thing in this app where you can, if you want to, just watch the numbers climb up by seconds. You can swipe over, and it just shows you 10 years, 5 months, 24 days, 2 hours, 9 minutes, and then the seconds just count. And you can just sit here in a real zen fucking fashion and just watch those seconds count up if you want to, right? Do I find that terribly helpful? No, but it's nice to know it's there. Now, at the end of every day, and again, you get to set when these things happen. For me, it's 7 o'clock at night. A little thing comes up. It goes, Bloop. how was your day? And it asks me how my day was, what my activities were, how I'm feeling. Did I? Succeed in staying sober today. And I fill that out every day. It's a little uh, ritual for me that doesn't keep me on the straight and narrow, but it helps, right? It's part of this huge tool, bo- uh, tool bag, toolbox, toolkit, tool, bunch of tools. It's this milk crate full of stuff that I use that I always use every day, so I keep it in this milk crate. Rather than putting these tools back where they go into the different places of my house and office and kitchen, I keep all of these tools in this milk crate. And y'all know what I'm fucking talking about. It's one of those tools. It's not the tool. And this is where I want the conversation to get a little bit tougher. So there are, unless you're being sent to a recovery thing because of legal concerns, right? Which happens. It happens, and if you get better, there's no harm, there's no foul, there's no shame, right? If the police tell you, yo, you gotta go to rehab, fucking go to rehab. And that's where you start. That's the beginning of your support network. Things that you enter into voluntarily get real culty in a hurry. And I would just caution you to be aware of greater context, greater... um, The greater world out there. I guess really that's the whole thing. I am not... I'm never going to trash talk AA, right? And I always say that the way that people go, I'm not racist, but... And then they say something fucking horribly racist. AA did not work for me, right? It is It structurally did not work for me. And please believe me, I tried it. I went to meetings, I have the book, I tried the thing. It it is not for me, which is fine, right? Many things are not for me. Yoga, not for me. Therapy, not for me. They're like Wes Anderson movies, not for me. Whatever. It's also very, it's a very good idea to find the things that are not for you so you don't get too discouraged. If you are told by someone, if you don't go to AA, you won't get sober... And then you go to AA and you're like, this ain't my jam, man. And then you don't get sober. That will feel like you did something wrong. You did not. There are a thousand ways to get sober. One of those ways is what I did, which is I tried a couple of things out and I was like, you know what? I'm not good at taking advice from people, which is what AA is. It's what any of these other things are. I'm not good at that. I need to figure this out for myself and I need to want to do it. That's (laughs) <laughs> if there was a Ben version of AA, step one would be, you kind of got to want to do it. But I I tried these other things. I tried other things, and 
AA was not my thing. And I take issue with AA. It was the the 12 steps were written like a hundred years ago, right? I get that part. And I would also like to preface this whole thing by saying if AA works for you, fucking God bless. Great. I'm so happy that it is working because it does seem to work for lots and lots of people. Their prescribed dogma is a little bit stodgy for me. It's a little bit, if you don't do it our way, you're never going to do it. And it takes the power away from the people who are in the program. And that's the part that I'm going to talk about right now. So from the get, step one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Disagree. So here's the toughest thing I'm going to say to all of you today. You can be victimized by addiction. Kinda. I have never myself struggled with an addiction as powerful as, say, heroin, cocaine, meth, things like that. That's fine. I've never done that. Alcohol, while it does not produce, to my understanding, the level of physical dependence that those other things do... Those other things are also not socially acceptable, right? So there's a psychological component to it. Is meth chemically, physically more addictive than alcohol? I believe so. I think that is what I know. I think that's what science knows. However, are you going to turn on the television and watch a movie and see a couple sitting down to a lovely dinner and some meth? No. So it's very isolating to be someone who is sober from alcohol, surrounded by advertisements, dramas, comedies, just all of this media where people are blithely drinking alcohol. Now I'm jealous of those fucking people who can have a glass of wine and then go to bed. I can't do that. I've never been able to do that. Would I say I am powerless over alcohol? No. Again, that takes the power away from me. And the thing that I really want to lean on today is the notion of personal responsibility. And I'm sorry. Many of you, just like me, are going to go, fuck you. I get it. I get that whole thing. Because it is so much easier. Again, sorry. I didn't want to hear this either. It is so much easier to say this is not my fault. It's so much easier to say we are powerless over alcohol. Because you know what that means? It means it's not your fault. <sighs> it is your fault. It's not your fault, but it is your fault, but it really is your responsibility. And that's what I want to talk about today. Personal responsibility. So, leaving aside the hard drugs that really, you know, I've never had to detox off of meth, right? That kid did it, that, that New Zealand kid did it on Lost, and it was in like one day. But that island was magic, so that's kind of different. I am aware. Detoxing off of a drug where you have a sincere physical addiction to it, where your body is telling you, I have to have this thing, that's different than what I'm talking about. When I dried out, when I quit drinking, I had a hangover that day. I didn't quit because of the hangover. That was just my consolation prize. The next day I was shaky. The next day I was really shaky. Like I got the shakes, which I had never experienced before. And then after that, I was pretty much okay. My addiction, my triggers, my uh, desire to drink are all psychological. And that is what I'm talking about today. My body is not telling me I need to drink 
to be a whole functional machine made out of meat and bones and shit like that. My brain is. And I am in charge of my brain. 100%. I live in my brain. Uh, my brain is there to work for me. That's its entire job. Now, is it the best employee in the world? Fuck no. My brain does all kind of stupid shit I don't want it to do. However, I am still responsible for that. So I want you to all think about your kitchens. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the kitchen. I'm going to talk right to the kitchen folk right now. Although, let's say you're a front of the house manager. You can apply this too. You have an employee who consistently, when you tell them, here, use this recipe, they just do some other shit instead. When that dish goes out wrong, did that other employee, did your employee who doesn't follow the recipe, did they do it? Yes. Are you, the kitchen manager, the chef, the sous chef, responsible for it? Also, yes. Anything that goes wrong in your kitchen, if you are in charge of that kitchen, is your fault. Why? Because you were not paying enough attention, because you didn't train your staff well enough, because you don't have policies and procedures in place to support them, because you are not supporting them. Or again, I have to say it because you're not paying attention. Maybe you're busy. I get it. We're all busy. So it's your fault. When things go really well, it's good to push off some of that praise to the people who did the work, but that's also your fault and your responsibility. If you're running a good kitchen, some of the kudos are for you. But when shit goes wrong, it's still your fault. It's still your responsibility. And I treat my brain the same way these days because as cooks, as chefs, as busters, bartenders, dishwashers, front of the house, AM managers, right? Who are just going to become real estate agents in the next 18 months anyway. We kind of crave rules because that's how we were trained, right? Like there's a certain temperature. You got to cook chicken too so you don't kill people. That is a rule. We like somewhere deep down in our reptilian brains, we like structure, process, policy, rules. Because once we've nailed those rules down, once you know what a brunoise looks like, once you know how to make a consomme, then you can do the fun shit after that. So we crave those rules. We really lean on those rules. We sit on them. We internalize them. I, in the last little bit here, as I've been living with my brain and talking to my brain, I wonder if we get completely out of control, drugs, alcohol, whatever, because after the doors close and the lights go off, there's no more rules. And while we love our rules and while we lean on them so that when we get the Health inspection, the health inspector is like, oh, you're labeling all your shit in your coolers really well with like the day and date that it was made and when it has to be used by and the initials of the person who made it. This is wild. Great job. We want that great job. And so we do the rules. Soon as we're off the clock, fuck, there's no rules at all. And we just go ham. We go fucking wild. And I think it is directly a response to that. Also, we've spent generations telling ourselves that we can do it. We're deserve, we, we deserve it. We, we're, we're deserving of it. So the personal responsibility part is the hardest part of sobriety. And that's where things like AA make me a little nervous. And it's a little bit like diet plans. People will go on a diet and they will lose a bunch of weight. And then they go off of the diet and they gain back more weight than they had before. This is classic, which is why diets are a bad idea, right? If you want to, speaking as someone who needs to lose some weight, if you want to lose some weight, there you have to make like systemic policy-based changes to your life. It's not, <laughs> it's a process. It's a uh, treatment. 
It's not a cure, which is really my big takeaway for today. So if you learn anything today, it's that, yeah, it kind of is your fault. But the other thing is, it's a process. It's a treatment. It's not a cure. When I got sober, the first day I said, you know what, motherfuckers, I'm not drinking anymore. I am not. I'm really good at drinking. I'm really good at drinking. But there's a lot of things about it that are bad. And so that's not a thing I can keep doing. When I did that very first day, I didn't fix everything. That was the first day I understood I needed to be in treatment. Now, I don't mean I went to a hospital. I don't mean I went to rehab, although people do, and that's awesome. I needed to start building policies and procedures for myself to support, to be, get out ahead of it, to support what I knew were going to be triggers, environments that I knew would make me want to drink, experiences that were going to make me want to drink. Can you imagine a chef of 20 years going out to his backyard and lighting up a grill and not really knowing what to do with his left hand because there's no beer in it. Like, I had a moment where my brain broke. Things like that. You have to get out ahead of that shit. You have to build policies and procedures. However, if you lean too heavily on the prescribed policies and procedures of something like an AA, some sort of a program that doesn't take into account your individual experience... If and when you fail, it'll be very easy for you to say, I failed because this didn't work for me. And that's another moment of not taking responsibility for who you are, what you are, and what you've been doing. And that is the hardest part of this whole fucking thing, and I'm sorry. I cannot say it more gently than that. But when you get sober, one of the things you have to do, and I never say this. I never say, here's here's, here's the... Here are the steps. Here's what you have to do. This is a thing you have to do. You have to sit in a chair or a couch or like a beanbag or something, a hammock maybe, and you have to take yourself out and look at yourself and go, listen up, motherfucker. We can't keep doing this. We need to figure out why we used to do it, why we liked it so much, why it was a thing that we would habitually do, and we need to not do it anymore, but we can't just not do it. We have to replace this with something. We have to find other things to do that bring us joy, that bring us relaxation, that take us out of ourselves for a minute. Because otherwise, we're going to fucking crack. We're going to go nuts. And the last thing you want to do is get sober and then go crazy, right? That's not the answer either. But that part's up to you. And I don't say that in a pitying way. I say that in a very empowering way. That part is up to you. It is you. You can fix you. It's hard. It's really hard. You don't have to do it alone, obviously. I just want to make sure that everybody is aware that if you do a thing, if you go into a program, if you go into rehab, if you join AA, and it doesn't work for you, that part is okay. It is okay if that program doesn't work for you. You are not a failure. The program's not a failure. It's a bad fit. You've all quit jobs. You have all fucking quit jobs. That the restaurant was great. The crew was great. You're great just didn't work. Who knows why? You've all broken up with significant others. That person was great. You were great. Maybe the sex was great. Who knows? Something didn't work. It's not a failure. You've learned a thing. I went to three AA meetings, and in the very first one, I was very, very newly sober. No, that's a lie. The first AA meeting I went to was after I got my DUI and I had to go. And I was very resentful. So that one doesn't count. (laughs) The first AA meeting I went to voluntarily, I was very newly sober. And 
Not only was the coffee very bad, which is, you know, minus one point for them. Everybody in that room who spoke, and I did not speak that day, had a story that was far and away, miles down the road, worse than any story I could come up with. I mean, people were killing people. People were, were, were out at parties where people were dying. People were like, just the most insane shit you've ever heard. And what I did not need in that moment was to be like, boy, I, at least I'm not these guys. I did not need that. I did not need to feel better about myself. And at the second meeting that I went to, I was approached by someone who asked me if I had a sponsor. And I said, no. And I don't, I don't want to make this... This was my experience. I'm not saying this about every AA chapter. I'm not saying this about every AA meeting. I'm not saying this about everybody who is in AA. But the person looked right at me and went, oh, you're not going to stay sober if you don't get a sponsor. And what I did was I never went back to AA because that level of like exclusivity and not exclusive in like a we're better than everybody else, but exclusive as in we don't include you unless you do exactly what our regimented prescribed procedure is, that sort of a thing. Huge turnoff for me. Because I don't fucking listen. I don't listen to people, right? Like, that's not what I do. Again, I have also been to therapy. I gave it a shot. Not really my thing. I don't take advice. I don't ask people what they think about me. That's not what I'm here for. That's not how my brain is set up. I am too independent. I am too bullheaded. I'm too stubborn. I'm too, a bunch of things that are actually not great, but they come together to make me who I am and I'm aware of it, right? So personal responsibility. Once you get past the first, mm, depending on what you're on, two weeks to two months and your body starts to chill the fuck back out, then you can start doing the you work, the investigation, the like, why is it, god damn it, I wish somebody would have told me this earlier, because I've been doing this stuff in the last like three years out of ten and a half years sober. If I could have been doing this in year two, I'd be so much further ahead than I am now. You have to. You go like, oh yeah, I know myself. Mm. Do ya? Do ya? Fucking that meme guy. Do ya? It is worth looking at. Here are all of the situations where I just fucking really want to drink. And figuring out what the commonalities are there. Why those situations? What's similar about those situations? Once you've identified that, not only can you combat it and either stay out of those situations or not react that way in those situations, be aware of what your knee-jerk reaction is going to be. But you can take a step further back than that and say, why is it that in this particular situation I reacted this way and what I want to do is have a bottle in my hand? Finding out that piece of information is fucking huge. Opens up all kinds of stuff. Really does put you in a position of power, not only over yourself, not only over your addiction, but over everything. If you learn why it is you do the things you do, you can change those things. You can change them. In the last two years, I have become, so, my wife says I'm Zen. I disagree with that terminology, but that's because I've become much more centered, much more in the middle of, of everything. And from the position where I started, way, way, way off to the right, let's say, where I operated normally just like 
angry, frustrated, sort of on edge, that sort of thing. So by coming back to more of the middle where, yes, do I still have like regular ass human emotions and sometimes I'm upset, sometimes I'm sleepy, sometimes I'm hungry, sometimes whatever. Yes, I still have all that shit. I get happy, I get sad, whatever. But all of that happens like in the middle of that spectrum now. Whereas that all used to happen over toward the angry side of that line, right? Uh, how did I do that? It's a matter of looking at yourself and saying, okay, if this thing makes me angry and I get really angry, why am I allowing myself to get really angry? Because I'm in charge over here. I'm in charge of everything that goes on in this fucking meat pile in the top of my head that it's the machine that does all the thinking, but it doesn't do it for me. It's just the machine that I use to do the thinking. Why do I let that machine go ham on being angry over something when it isn't necessarily that big of a deal? Now, I will not uh, decrease. That's the wrong term. I'm not going to denigrate the intensity of any of your experiences. If something legitimately makes you really mad, okay. That's a human emotion. That's a reaction to stimuli. If somebody does some stupid shit and you get mad... That's okay to be mad. The next step there is, there's two next steps. What do you do with that? And why are you getting that mad about that thing? That's the kind of stuff that from what I understand comes up in therapy. I happen to just be doing it one-on-one, -on -one, sitting my brain down in a chair. If that's not your jam, therapy might be the thing. If that's not your jam, meditation might be the thing. I don't know. I'm doing the thing that works for me. And what works for me is, I, I brought this up in a, in a previous episode of this show, which is I was told when I was a kid that I had, quote, low blood sugar. And that's why my emotions ran so hot and cold, right? Turned out that was inaccurate. I, I, I don't want to say that the person who told me that, who was an adult who had a certain amount of authority in my life at that time. I don't want to say that that was an intentional lie. That was inaccurate information. However, the upshot of that inaccurate information is that if that adult who was an authority figure at that point in my life did some stupid shit and I got angry, that adult was able to go, you're only reacting this way because you need a snack. Now, what that adult in that position of authority at that time in my life did not know, probably, is that that was a setup for me that allowed me to think that I was not in control of that emotional response. And that allowed me to be a very angry person for a very long time. Because I thought it wasn't my fault that I was so angry. I thought I was justified in being so angry. That was my reaction. My reaction was valid. But it really, while the reaction was valid, the intensity of the reaction, nope. That's the thing that I was able to change in myself. And it is hard. Hard to do that shit because, again, it is a treatment. It is not a cure. You've got to do it every time. When I get angry about something, I have to walk myself back from that, examine whether or not it's something that, A, is a valid anger response, and B, I need to sort of gauge my level of response to it. Not everything has to be, now I'm furious. I can get angry about stuff. I still do get angry about stuff. I don't get furious anymore because... I've realized that, yeah, there's not a lot of things out there that are worth me getting furious over. Simple as that, right? Like, you don't need to stomp on the gas pedal leaving every stop sign. You can just sort of mosey out into traffic. You're going to get where you're going. 
Simple as that. So that's the personal responsibility part of this. You have to understand yourself. You have to be strong enough within yourself to say, okay, yes, I am reacting a certain way. Yes, it is because of this direct stimuli that just happened. All of that is valid. All of that is just like mathematical. It's this happened, so this is my response to it. It's the level of intensity of that response that is entirely your responsibility. Because again, anger is part of our flight or f- fight or flight or flight or fight. I don't know. Say it how you want. Response. That's built into us. That's like a thing. That's a biological thing. You cannot and should not change that. Some shit makes you angry. Way, way back in the day, our ancestors would encounter some shit that would make them afraid or angry. And they would have to handle that shit right away. Ah, do we really live in that environment anymore? No. So when something makes you angry, that's biology. You cannot and should not stop that. There's no such thing as, I don't get angry anymore. That's fucking weird. It's how angry you get. And I'm leaning on anger because I spoke to a friend of mine very recently about some issues that this friend of mine was having with exactly that. And I'm like, we can talk at length about this, but I don't, I didn't have time right then. And so we're going to get together and talk about that later. I'm no guru, right? Like I'm not going to put you in this meditative Zen trance state where you're never angry. That feels weird. I don't mind getting angry about some shit when people do some shit that is worth getting angry about. However, flying off the handle, becoming a rage monster, turning into the Hulk, like that's not, that's the part that I am in charge of. So that's how I break that down. Getting angry, becoming angry, being made angry by outside stimuli, that's biology. The psychology of it is I examine that and think to myself, okay, well, what is my response to this? And how angry is it really worth my time to be? Because sometimes it just ain't worth it. And you're never told any of this by anyone ever. Remember, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the soul, but I still don't know how the fuck a mortgage works. And I've had two of them because the American educational system is fucked. And they also don't tell you emotional intelligence stuff like this, which is like, yeah, we're just told don't get angry. Everybody should be happy. I'm... I'm 45. I was raised in the generation that everybody was supposed to be happy all the time. And if you were not happy all the time, you had failed somehow. And that is some bullshit. There is this wide spectrum to human experience where sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're sad. Sometimes, like, I have this thing, which I guess is rare, where, man, I can be really content just sitting in a chair, kind of chilling out by myself, blank brain, just fucking chilling out. It's great. I don't, I don't do that for hours. That would be weird. But like, sometimes I just need to unplug all of everything. Am I gleefully happy in that moment? No. But that would be exhausting. There's no reason to do that. Now, should you also be furious every moment? Absolutely not, right? There is this broad spectrum of human experience that we should all have the freedom to enjoy all the time. But remember, you're in charge of it. So if you're unhappy, you're in charge of that too. And I hate to say that. I hate to say that if you're unhappy, it's your fault. Because that makes it punitive. That makes it sound like you're in trouble for something and you're not. But it is your responsibility. If your situation is making you unhappy, if your experiences are making you unhappy, if your job is making you unhappy, you're in charge of all of those things. And I say that in as much as I am empowering you. You're in charge of all those things. You can change those things. It starts inside, though. You have to understand that you do have the power to 
to change those things. So I would like to apologize because it would be way easier for me to just be like, listen up, buddy, the, the over drinking, that's not your fault. But that would be a lie. And that's not what I needed to hear. And that's likely not what you need to hear either. So uh, those are my realizations from the last couple of years. What the result has been is I am a more chill dude than I have been ever. I am more focused at work. I have more calm conversations about things that in the past I either wouldn't have had a conversation about or I would have flown off the handle. I have a better relationship with my kids and my wife and my family. And, <laughs> sorry to bring up family. There's one other piece of this too, which is choose your battles, man. Like, am I ever going to go to the adult who had authority over me when I was a child, who fucked me up for a good long time about that made-up blood sugar thing? Am I going to go to that person and be like, hey, you fucked me up for all these years? It's not worth it. That thing is not worth my time. There's no... I've already fixed it. I've already fixed it in me. I am aware that if I don't have a snack at a certain ratio of, of, of hours throughout my day that potentially could have a little bit of an effect on my mood. But it's not a crutch anymore. It's not this crisis thing where if I haven't had a snack in an hour, I turn into a monster and I allow myself to do that because it's not my fault. I've already fixed that for myself. That realization allowed me to change a fuck ton of things about the way that I think about how I interact with my own brain. Do I need to go to that person and be like, hey, fucko, this is what you did. There's no benefit to that. A, this person's never going to admit it. B, it's going to mess things up in that particular relationship in ways that I don't need to have that happen now. I figured it out. I fixed it. I'm, well, I almost said I'm fine, but that's not true. Regardless, I'm better. And it doesn't matter. I wish I had done it 20 years ago, but I don't know if I could have, right? So it doesn't matter. So pick your battles too, right? Like part of realizing that you have control over the equalizer on the intensity of your reaction to stuff is sometimes you can dial that shit all the way down and be like, you know what? I'm letting this one roll. Because none of the outcomes of me addressing this help at all. So what's the fucking point? Now, be careful with that because that shit can turn into resentments and you don't want to carry resentments around all day. But that's a separate thing and I'm not qualified to talk about that stuff. That is just my experience. So what do I want to leave you with today? The short story is unless you are part of the extremely small group of people who were tied to a chair and somebody shot you up with heroin, nobody made you take your first drink. Nobody made you light your first cigarette. Nobody made you uh, smoke weed, try shrooms, any of the things that 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 you did Nobody forced you to do it. Like peer pressure is a powerful thing, but nobody forced you to do it. And I say this not in a punitive way, not in a mocking way, not in any way that is meant to make you feel bad about yourself. It's your fault. Whatever you're addicted to, whatever your behavioral issues are, they're your fault. And I say that to mean you're in charge of them. You can fix them. You have the power. You are a powerful creature. And that power can be directed inward. You absolutely can do it. And I say that as someone who has, and I never, not only did I not think I could do it, I didn't know it was a thing that could be done. So I'm telling you right now, that's a thing you can do. I believe in you. I believe you can do it. I don't even know you necessarily. You can do this thing. Because I did, 
And who the fuck am I? Right? I'm just some guy who started cooking at 14, went to college for a while. But I didn't study psychology. I didn't do any of this stuff. I don't really do therapy. Like all of the stuff people are like, you have to do the work. There's a lot of that work I haven't done. It's all been in my head. You can do that too. Now, if you need support, if you need resources, there's also a ton of that shit out there, right? There's, there is AA, there are inpatient programs, there's Hope for the Day, there's Ben's Friends, there's all, there's Rock United, there's like all of these different things that have support. I bet if you work for, uh, guaranteed if you work for a hotel or a school or a, uh, like one of those corporate dining kind of places, or you work for a Aramark, or you work for a, a Cisco, or or a Compass Group, that sort of thing. They have employee support networks, which is very easy for a company like that to do. Just contract out with a a group like BetterHelp or somebody like that who just does phone therapy, the employee assistance program, the EAP, the employee assistance program. That shit is all out there. You just have to give it a shot. And again. The last point for today, if it does not work for you, you did not fail and it did not fail. Could just be not the right thing for you. Try something else. The failure is in not trying. The failure is in saying, you know what? I did AA. Sobriety is not for me. Fuck everybody. That's kind of metal, but not productive. So many different ways to do this. So many different ways to... Get, stay sober. And I believe you can do it. Because I did it, and I had, you know, to a certain degree, for lack of looking, not a lot of resources, not a lot of support. So go do it. If you're thinking about it, do it. If you're already doing it, do more of it. <laughs> you want to be part of this conversation, please feel free to reach out. I have closed down pretty much all of my contacts and connections and stuff like that for this show by itself because it didn't make a whole lot of sense to have two separate shows that frankly I was paying for two different shows so when I drop this into the main feed for in the weeds that's also the best way to get a hold of me so my Instagram is Chef Ben Rundle. my email is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com I am always around happy to help out I don't know how much help I can offer but if you're just looking for somebody to talk to who has been through this same shit and you're like, you know what? Everybody I talk to is like a trucker or a lawyer. And I, I cannot connect with those folks. I, I'm, I'm that guy. I started as a cook. I am now a chef. This is the only thing I've ever known is professionally. This is what I do. I was raised in the restaurant industry. Uh, I'm on the inside. And so, yeah, always happy to help. Feel free to reach out. And uh, I am busy, and I've got a wife, and I have two kids, so I cannot guarantee I'm going to get back to you, like, right away, but I will get back to you. So, I'm going to go do a bunch of stuff and not drink today. For This Empty Glass with Chef Ben, I'm Chef Ben.